Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She's a Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. Every week, the show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. Listeners, today I am ridiculously excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Danny Barrington, who is a lecturer at the Faculty of Health and Medical Sciences in population and public health at the University of Western Australia. And she's also a visiting lecturer in water sanitation health within the School of Civil Engineering at the University of Leeds. Danny's research is so fascinating. She uses interactive methods to understand people's experiences with toilets, menstrual health and hygiene, water and rubber management. And something that I wanna ask her more about In her undergraduate days, she was a founding member of the University of Western Australia Pantomime Society, where she honed her skills of engaging with audiences on taboo matters, particularly through making a fool of herself. So I am expecting a fun conversation. Thank you so (laughs) much, Danny, for coming on this podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be here. And usually I say, you know, how I know somebody, and I just met you through Twitter, And that's so cool. You said you need to do something on menstruation stigma. And I was like, oh my goodness, I actually do. So thank you. I want to know what your elevator pitch is. If you're in an elevator, physically distancing, and somebody (laughs) says, because I I kind of gave this really big uh, introduction to you. How do you describe in like one or two floors? What is it that you're all about? So I'm a public health engineer by training, um, but I kind of moved away from the technical and more to the people side of things and started doing a lot of research that's around talking to people about their wants and needs around toileting and menstrual health and also incontinence and things. So really my, my goal is to try and understand more about what it is that people want rather than what other people are saying that they should have and then trying to work with people in our sector to kind of integrate that into programs so not just going well we're experts and we think that all the girls need pads so that they go to school more actually thinking about well let's talk to the girls and understand what it is that they want and need so that we can then link that into the programs and give that more weight amplify their voices rather than the experts that is amazing and it's just such a coincidence that i'm talking with you because i listened to a podcast with bill gates And then I went and watched the Netflix show. And the first episode, I don't know if you saw it, was all about toilets and trying to find a good toilet that could actually be used in different contexts. I don't know if you saw that or not. I haven't seen it, but I did work on one of those toilets for a bit. Really? Oh, that was... Yeah, so I know some people who are in that, in the first episode as well. It was so cool because it was something that, 
you know, he talks about just like reading a newspaper article and then being mm-hmm. really moved by it and then trying to find people who wanted to be part of the solution. And it just seems like something that, you know, and this is what I want to talk to you today about, but maybe something we don't, we don't talk that much about in public. So before we go there, I want to show, I really do want to show up to Perth in Western Australia. I've never <laughs> been, I've been to Melbourne and I loved it, but I haven't been to Western Australia, which my brother used to live in and he used to surf. So I feel like I really want to go one day. He lived in Margaret. It is a beach, beach culture. Margaret River or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You got the surfing and the wine and the chocolate and the beer. That's the, the ideal holiday location for people from Perth. Okay. Me and you are now friends and I'm going to come visit you <laughs> post-COVID. <Definitely. laughs> so I'm going to show up to Perth right now in my invisible time machine. And I'm going to say, Danny, take me back to the time and place where you thought, I want to study toilets and menstruation. (laughs) Where would you take me to? So I have always been really passionate about the environment and conservation. And so I decided I wanted to study environmental systems engineering at uni as my undergrad degree. And the more that I did that, the more I started hearing about issues around the fact that so many billion people in the world didn't have access to safe water and safe toilets. And when I was doing my PhD, I was working with the water corporation here in rural communities and looking at how the toxins in the wastewater plants can, how we can make sure that they don't make it onto irrigating school ovals and that kind of thing. And at the same time, I was doing a lot of volunteer work with Engineers Without Borders in Australia. Yeah, so that's when I realised, you know, this is what I really want to do. I want to work on the international development side of things and I really want to work on the interactions between humans and the environment and making sure we can kind of look after both. So that's so yeah, cool. So, so the time machine, I get to stay in Perth because this happened. Yep. In, okay, great. I love that. Yep. Yes, that was, I did my undergrad here in Perth. I, I love it here. And so my career kind of, I've lived in about five different places in a few different countries in the last 10 years and the plan was always to try and make my way back here well congratulations you you did it and that's amazing so I want to know what your thoughts are about stigma and I don't know if you want to you know talk about if there's differences or that you think about when when I would say why should we care about stigma around toilets or stigma around menstruation and I there are probably different answers maybe they're the same answer but with your work looking really at water and sanitation hygiene for the listeners that's often called the wash sector why does it matter why do we it doesn't matter if we think about stigma with relation to this isn't just water water and toilets or toilets what's the big deal on a high level in terms of the fact that there is a huge amount of the population around the world who don't have access to decent water and decent toilets. The fact that it's so stigmatised to talk about the toilet side of things has really meant it hasn't got the same amount of attention as as water has. So it's always been very sexy to talk about water and getting kids clean drinking water around the world. And you'll see a huge amount of celebrities who put their hand up to be named as as doing something on that. But a lot less celebrities will talk about toilets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt Damon is one of the few who, who talks a lot about it and makes some pretty funny videos. So just the fact that people aren't willing to talk about toilets means that it gets less attention generally. Mm. Uh, And also it's, it's hard for people to talk to you about 
toilets and about their toileting behaviours. So when it's something that's really stigmatised, you know, public health engineers like to say, well, we go and talk to people and find out what kind of toilets that they want. And I'm like, well, do you really? Do they really tell you what they genuinely think because it's such a stigmatized topic. People don't necessarily want to talk to you about their bowel movements <laughs> or what they prefer to do in the toilet, which I've done a couple of Twitter surveys about all the different things people do in the cubicles besides just <laughs> urinating. Checking like, their phones. <laughs> yeah, oh, all sorts of things. Hiding from their kids. Mm. That's a big one. And then the same thing kind of goes for menstruation is that, you know, we need to be able to have the conversations about it. But then with menstruation, you've got this added level of stigma that is really influencing the behavioural expectations of women and girls and other people who menstruate all around the world all the time. Mm -hmm. So there is this big focus on people who menstruate not having access to menstrual materials, for example. But we haven't looked a lot. I think the gender studies scholars have done a, a good job at looking at this, but not perhaps public health and such. Understanding how all of these stigmas around menstruation and around what we're expected to do as women in terms of concealing and not talking about it and the fact that menstrual suffering has just become a normative thing like well you've got pain I've got pain just get on with it mm. um, and how that then impacts on everyday experiences and then just not just around menstruation like this huge mental burden that women bear particularly those who have irregular periods so uh, you know all month long stressing about the fact that they might get caught out and of course there is the the practical side of things, like it's not nice to bleed on your chair or through your clothes or whatever. Yes, you do want to avoid that happening, but you shouldn't be embarrassed when that kind of thing happens. Mm. And so women are putting so much of their energy into making sure that they conceal their menstrual status. And that's not something that is just in low and middle income countries. And it's not something that matters what your what your economic status is generally within your country. It's just this pervasive thing that we see. And so I'm getting more and more interested in that as coming from the engineering side and working in the wash sector where it traditionally has been about getting girls pads but thinking, well, actually, we, of course we need to do that, but also we need to look at this bigger structural stigma that impacts on everyone. That's so interesting. And also something I noticed that you're working on is incontinence. And I was wondering if you wanted to mention if, if there's stigma around incontinence and does that vary by the age of people? Yep. So I started out working with a, a great student, a master student who's now a PhD student of mine, Claire Rosado-Scott. And we wanted to understand experiences of incontinence in Zambia because in, our, in the WASH sector, we kind of realised about five years ago that no one is talking about incontinence in low and middle income countries. Um, mm. There's a lot of medical research on it in high income countries, but not in lower income countries. And we found it really hard to get people to talk about it. Partly there's the stigma and that's also culturally different in different places, but also not necessarily knowing that incontinence is, it's a symptom of many different illnesses or other ailments, but also in a lot of ways it can often, in a lot of cases it can actually be improved, you know, if not completely fixed. There are definitely things you can do to improve mm. it, but because people don't want to talk about it, people don't know that. And so often they won't talk to the medical professionals about it either, or medical professionals aren't, don't want to ask about it. So people aren't getting the help that they could actually have to improve their lives around incontinence. So for example, we've got there's a few of us, we have a, like an informal incontinence email group, which is a group of us around the world. I think there's about 30 of us now trying to push the agenda to look more at this kind of 
the actual experiences of incontinence in low-income countries. And we've seen some people, for example, in Pakistan, I think Zara's work was, and this idea that, you know, she, she did a photo voice research project. So mm-hmm. she got uh, people with disabilities who also had incontinence, I think that was the, the group, to take photos of things that related to their experiences of incontinence. And then in this method, you then interview people, you know, why did you take that photo and that kind of thing. Mm. And one that really stood out with me is this man who said, I'm really lonely. And the thing for me is that I don't have enough soap and water to wash. And I really don't have any incontinence products like you'd have in, in a high income country. So I smell all the time. And that means that people in the community don't want to be near me. Oh, so, so sad. stigmatized in that way. Yeah. yeah. And I think a big thing that came out of that work of Zara's as well, she's at uh, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, is that soap, being able to have soap and water was such a barrier for people experiencing incontinence in that setting. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, kind of practical people often will jump to, well, we need to get people incontinence pads. And obviously we need to work on the health side of things of looking at whether there's a way that we can prevent this happening more or rehabilitate um, people with their condition. Um, but even just some of those simple things having mm-hmm. such a profound impact on their lives. Yeah, that's such a powerful example. You know, the next question is going to ask, you've already sort of given us some hints of the answers. So the second question is going to ask is, how does the stigma impact people? And so far, what I've, I think I've heard you say is, well, it impacts, say, people with incontinence because it might cause social isolation if they don't have adequate soap and water to clean their clothing or clean themselves. They're stigmatized socially, but it also probably impacts, you said, their conversations with healthcare providers. So people might not, may not even admit they're too embarrassed to admit and they're not going to get the help they, the help they need. And then you also mentioned with menstruation stigma that it kind of consumes a lot of time and a lot of energy, um, mm. maybe constrains the opportunities of people who are menstruating who have to be hiding it all the time. Um, I was wondering yeah. what other ways, you know, that you've noticed in your, your work across this sector, how the stigma is impacting people's lives. Yeah, well, I... I think a big part of it comes down to in in menstruation is how people's participation in things outside of things not even related to menstruation, how that's impacted. So people who perhaps don't, don't want to use tampons or don't trust the whatever materials they're using will often choose not to participate in activities, you know, swimming or different sports and that kind of thing, because the risk of them having an accident, the risk of someone finding out is too great. And then on the other side, which I alluded to before, was that we've got this thing, this gendered norm around menstrual suffering and, and the pain and, and including emotional issues and distress and that kind of thing is all kind of like, well, that's just part of being a woman, just get on with it. And that that is often not just men that are enforcing that gender norm. So there's a lot of times where women either they won't participate because they're worried they're going to, they won't be able to conceal their status or they will participate because they feel like, well, I'm a woman and I'm not a weak woman and therefore I'm going to do this regardless. Hmm. And then often you've got women who, you know, if you've got something like endometriosis and you've got horrific pain 
all the time and you'll find that there are women who then can't participate, like they just physically can't, and other women then stigmatising them in terms of, well, you know, you're a useless friend and you're always letting me down. It's just period pain. You should be able to deal with it. So it's all these things that just keep manifesting in this really horrible horrible expectations on women and we, we need to think about how to actually break those down and it's not by throwing free pads at girls. Right. I think what you're saying is there's these other other norms that are you can't solve right, by throwing a material at somebody. Is it got something yeah. to do with the idea? I'm trying to think of what is the common thread, and I'm sure you've been thinking about this for like a very long time, but just listening to you talk today, and I'm wondering if one of the common threads between the stigma we have around talking about toilets and the stigma around menstruation and then the stigma around incontinence, are they linked maybe to stigma around what is perceived as clean and not clean? I think in some ways, I think, well, definitely menstrual blood or menstrual fluid, because it's not just blood, is considered a completely different type of blood to all the other <laughs> blood in the body when it's really you know, not. It's so stigmatized and it's, it's considered dirtier. In terms of being clean, I mean, I think a big... Um, a big stigma around incontinence is that people are taught that old people and babies are allowed to be incontinent. Mm. And if you're anywhere between those two, you're either feel like you're an old person and that you're being stigmatized for that, or that you're like a baby because you have to wear nappies. We've been doing a, a review of Mumsnet, which is a, it's an online forum. It's mostly mums in the UK and looking at when they discuss incontinence with each other. And there is this big thing around age of feeling like, well, I'm 30. How can I be incontinent? I'm like a smelly old lady and these kind of things. And also the fact that so many of the adverts for incontinence products do focus on more elderly people. So there's a, a misunderstanding that it only happens to elderly people. So then women who, particularly women who've given birth, feel really stigmatized that they are an old person, but also like they're alone in this mm. um, because they're like, well, surely it's not normal for, for me to be experiencing this at this age. So yeah, I think that age thing in terms of incontinence is a big thing. And it kind of links in, it sounds like when you're talking about the stigma that people are getting for feeling pain around menstrual cramps or the stigma around not being of the right age to be experiencing, you know, what's being perceived to quote right age to be perceived to be experiencing incontinence. It's almost like there's some ableism, some some sort of disability stigma in there too, Mm. around the way that bodies are supposed to be working or something. Yeah. And I mean, this, it's quite interesting. And I think people like, Professor Chris Bobel and a few others have been writing about this for a long time in terms of like second wave feminism gave women the opportunity that when they have their periods, they can do everything that men can do. And you have the opportunity to do that. But that means that in the workplace, a lot of women will go to huge lengths to not show that they are in pain and to work through the pain. And if women are in a more senior position, often they will work out a way that they can change their workload to do less on the days when they're in a lot of pain and that kind of thing. But women who are more junior expend a lot of energy trying to demonstrate that they're just as hardworking as someone who doesn't menstruate. And it's that interesting thing of now you can, you have the freedom to do everything, but you don't really have the freedom to choose whether to do it. 
and you're not allowed to show that you may have any sort of disability or condition which could hinder you. <sighs> it sounds like we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> and my next question is, what can we do about this, the listeners? You know, there's probably a lot of different people listening to this. And how can we all be part of a solution around removing or reducing the stigma around all of these different things you're talking about, around toilets, around menstruation, around incontinence? How can we be part of changing, changing this stigma? So yeah, it's the million dollar question. That's what we're trying to, to figure out is, yeah, how do we dismantle that? The big thing that people are trying at the moment, and I think is a way that can really, I would like to think it can't really do any harm at least, is just talking about it more. There's this great bracelets that we wear in menstrual health circles. They've got 28 beads on them and seven of them, I think, or five of them, no, five of them are red and the others are whatever, a different colour. And it's supposed to represent a menstrual cycle. So the five days of bleeding on average and 28 day cycle on average. And it's kind of a, a um, it's meant to be a conversation starter and things. And a few years ago, I was wearing mine at Christmas breakfast and my granddad, who's in his 80s, was like, Danny, what's that bracelet about? And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> and so then he was beside himself I think he knew that I worked on menstrual health stuff he just didn't expect it to come up over breakfast at on Christmas day <laughs> and my family we're, we're just quite open about it and then I saw my other grandfather a couple of weeks ago and I hadn't seen him in a few years and he's 87 I think and he was making jokes at me about modus pads like from back when he was a, a teenager and it shouldn't be a taboo thing to talk about and the more that we, we talk about it and also the more that we get men talking about it mm. because like every session you go to on menstrual health and hygiene in conferences, it's always full of women. And I know that a lot of men are reluctant to, to speak up because they're like, well, I don't want to get in trouble. It's not my place. Mm. And that's totally legitimate to feel like that, but that doesn't mean you can't listen. Mm. So more men taking interest in this and actually really trying to understand how crap this stigma is that we, we put up with and all these things that happen in our lives. Like on a practical level, yeah, it does suck a bit to have a period. You do have to manage in some way, but we shouldn't have to manage. So it shouldn't be such a mental burden to have to manage our menstrual health. Yeah, exactly. So you're recommending that as listeners, we start talking more about toilets, incontinence, menstruation, so that we can feel confident in having those conversations. And then maybe if someone brings it up or, you know, talks about, about yeah. it in a negative way, then we feel like, well, at least we've thought about it. And we know that there's another way to, to, to perceive the importance of language, I think, is really important. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot in the last, so probably in the last 10 years, the media has finally started writing stories about menstrual health. In 2013 or 2014, I tried to get something in women's health or one of those big magazines. And they were like, uh, no, this is not an important issue. And I'm like, uh -huh, mm, uh, to none of your readers, right. Um, <laughs> but there definitely is heaps more now. Like the media is full of stories about inverted commas, period poverty. Mm -hmm. there's, there's been a lot in the last uh, decade about menstrual huts in Nepal and I think it started out with a lot of stories around girls in low and middle income countries and now they're seeing more of oh well, actually this is an issue in high income countries as well mm -hmm. but it is mostly women who are engaging with those 
with those stories and reading them and talking about them. So I think a big thing is really getting men and boys on board to understand <coughs> and that it is something that impacts on their life. If you have a, I think um, I got my husband, we had to, one year for menstrual hygiene day, we were getting people to write menstruation matters to me because, and my husband wrote on his, because we all have women we care about in our lives. And I think that's the point. Like everyone has people they care about in their lives who menstruate or will menstruate or have menstruated in the past. So it actually is a global thing to be thinking about and it's not actually just relevant to one gender. That's amazing. And, and I also, you know, I'm thinking about what you said earlier, which is just maybe, maybe people aren't aware of the huge number of people. I know think last time I read, I think it was 2 billion people that didn't have, that didn't have sufficient water. And so just to even think about how can we advocate for, you know, global health equity and how can we be part of thinking about the, the solutions and what are the solutions because soap yeah. and water are also, if we're, if we're so focused on a technology or a product, we might forget that, oh, there's this huge issue that's a human rights issue that is impacting so many people around the world. You know, who's working on that in, in, the, in, in different places or in, in, the, in our own countries? Who's sort of looking at this, like, kind of this, the sustainable development goals or something like that? I know, and even with COVID, you know, straight away it was like you have to be washing your hands for, what is it, a round of happy birthday, 20 seconds, whatever. What if you don't have the water or the soap to do that, or to be able to do it for that long? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Suddenly hand washing in our sector has gotten very sexy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I was lucky enough to get a Canadian Institute of Health Research grant because I've been working with urban refugee adolescents in, in Kampala, in Uganda. And so we, mm -hmm. we did get a, a COVID-focused grant but a lot of it's going to be around what is realistic to expect if people yeah. don't have access to soap and water. What is what does COVID prevention look like? So it's it's actually really timely as well to think about water and sanitation right now. Yeah, and then people being able to. Um, I heard last week from one of my wash colleagues that they have seen that there was transmission. Uh, I can't remember which country it was, and they know it's something to do with a shared toilet. They don't know what the tra transmission route was. You know, is it hands on the toilet? Is it airborne infection? Is it using the same toilet? But, like, these are places where COVID is actually being spread. Mm -hmm. And we know that now. Wow, you are so brilliant. I'm so happy that we connected. <laughs> I want to I get to some... I know our time is almost up and I want to get to some wild card questions where we can know the real Danny. But before we get to the wild card <laughs> questions, is there any last thing you want the listeners to know or to think about when it comes to stigma around these issues? No, I think I've got up my soapbox already. <laughs> Literally your soapbox. Okay. So the wild card question number one, what are you binging on Netflix right now? What am I binging my husband and I, we have this, this is a long story. Well, I'll try and shorten it. We have a date box that we like each week we pull a date out and it tells us what we're going to do that week. And this last week just gone was watch a box set together. So at the moment we're box set watching ER because um, I was a bit, a bit too young to get into it when it first came out. So, so okay, yeah. I want to rewind for a second. So do you mean you have like a literal <laughs> box with dates of the week and you pick it out and that's your date night? I, I, I want to figure this out. This sounds really oh, cool. 
Yeah, so I bought it online and it has, it's got 52 little envelopes and in the envelope there is a, a date that you should do, like go play mini golf or go out for a fancy dinner or go watch That's a box so set. fun. And a box set, is that what you say in Australia for like a series, like a TV series? Yeah. It's like, I thought so. Yeah, um, like a lot of episodes back to back. So now you're inspiring me to have a date night box. So my second question is, if you could go, imagine there's no COVID or it's post-COVID and everyone has vaccines. Uh, if you could go anywhere in the world for dinner with anybody, living or dead, who would you take and where would you go? So it's a very dorky answer. Um, I have a project in um, in northern Uganda, which is looking at incontinence in children and how they're treated within the refugee camps. And to be honest, all I would like right now is to go and meet with the Plan Uganda staff uh, who work up there and take my PhD student Claire with me and just chat to them about the issues and understand what it's like firsthand because we... It was something that we were supposed to be able to do in March and we haven't been able to do it yet. And so a lot of stuff is being done remotely and it's an amazing team. So they are able to do a lot of it remotely, but I just feel like being able to sit down face to face and have a beer would, would be really helpful for understanding the situation more. Amazing. I told, I feel very similar to you right now. And yeah, it would be lovely to have a beer, a cold beer there. That'd be awesome. Um, okay, when you do end up going... You know, hopefully one of us will end up going at some point sometime soon. We'll take a selfie, you know. I'll see uh, you know, yep. I'll, I'll live vicariously. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and my last, my last question is, is there any piece of advice or wisdom that has been helpful to you that you would like to share with the listeners? Like any kind of quote, anything oh. that. <laughs> All right. So this is my motto. Don't be a dick. <laughs> and it's just as in. Being like, especially because I work in academia and there's so much like active backstabbing, not so much in the schools I've worked in, but I know of it happening so much. And just be a nice person who you can live with yourself, <laughs> like after you work each day, not feeling like you've done horrible stuff or sold your soul. I think people would be a lot happier if they would just, yeah, totally. like yourself as a person. And then you also attract people who want to collaborate with you who who like you as a person as well. And I think that's more fun to collaborate with people who you get along with than it is to go, oh, I've got to find the professor with the highest H index or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's my bit of advice I give to early career researchers and I try to live by that myself. I think we could all use that advice. Be kind, but don't, be, <laughs> don't be a bad person. My husband wants me to change it to don't be an asshole because he said dick is gendered. So I get that, that but it doesn't I, rhyme as well. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the, the, the sentiment is the same. I remember yeah. seeing uh, a graffiti on a, a bathroom stall and, you know, I've seen, and I've seen this quote, you know, since then, but it said, uh, be gentle uh, for everyone you meet is fighting a mighty battle. And I always thought about mm. that. I always thought, Oh, what what would happen if we just walked around being kinder and just more gentle to people, especially now in COVID? You know, everyone's kind of stressed out. Like, don't be an asshole. I like what that. is the point in being horrible? <laughs> yeah, totally. I love that, listeners. I very much grew up in a um. <laughs> I was going to say, I very much grew up with my mum said to me. Maybe this is where, probably where it came from. Was if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. 
Totally. I think we had the same mother because my mom used to say that as yeah. well. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I feel so lucky uh, to have connected with you. And I know that yeah. you've just added a new dimension into the stigma conversations. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm going to go listen to some more of your podcasts too. I'm super interested in the topic. Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me. Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us next week for more inspiring and motivating conversations with stigma leaders from around the world. Tell I'm listening, but I have to tell you.